0: Hello and welcome to the After Sermon Podcast, where we pick up all the bits from the cutting room floor that didn't make it into our sermons and break them down. And today we're looking at the sermon under the terebinth tree. Hi, my name is Christopher, and ladies and gentlemen, you are in for quite a treat, because today we have two returning guests with us. First of all, we have Mr. Mitchell Santa.
1: Hello, and I'm Mitchell
0: again. Nice to say (laughs) hello again. Nice to to have you on the podcast again. And we also have, returning with us from our episode, What Now?, Miss Tiana Andrews, who hopefully has had an ample time to come up with a cool intro. I've
2: been put on the spot. Christopher, all I was going to say was hi. (laughs)
0: Ah, that'll do, that'll do. Well, seeing as though our kind of topic for this sermon, this podcast, was all about leadership, I thought I'd just ask you guys, before we get into our main meat of the podcast, if either of you have, in any capacity, been in a sort of leadership role in the past. Have you ever had to lead a group or anything like that?
1: I once led a Pathfinder walk we did, um, which is like Scouts, I guess. We 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 did this walk out in someone's farm, and I was put in charge by the adults, and I was really excited about it, until I realised <laughs> oh, that I... being a leader meant having a group follow you. <laughs> so I had was I had this? Christopher in my group, was he was this? one of the the insubordinates, and um, we were trekking, and I got Christopher to carry my bag.
0: Uh, I don't remember that part, but...
1: I think I, I just passed everyone all my stuff, and I, I led... <laughs>
0: Was this the camp out um, where you had to leave, like, halfway during it? Yep. And then I I said, oh, <laughs> I said you need to give me the leadership role. And you're like, no, I've already <laughs> given it to someone else. And I was just like, no. We were in our tent. Every night, you were, like,
1: working on, on getting me to give you the leadership role. <laughs> and I secretly, behind your back, gave it to Kate. I know. You, you dog. You sly dog. <laughs> I will say that. Honestly, it was a judgment call, Christopher. <laughs> I'd been studying... <laughs> I've been studying you and Kate, and I've been trying to work out which one of you was more responsible as a leader, and okay. it was clearly Kate. Uh,
0: what about you, Mistiana? Have you ever been in a leadership sort of role?
2: Uh-huh. I was the leader of my year five netball team.
0: Whoa. Ooh.
2: It went, fan- it went fantastically. Um, halfway through the match, I severely damaged my knee and I had to be carried off to the side, and I sat there in ice packs. That you was...
1: you cheered them on from the sidelines
2: though, right? No, no, I didn't cheer. I mostly <laughs> cried.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, too much pain.
2: It hurt pretty bad. So That, that was, um, that was my great
0: leadership role. Fair enough.
2: Christopher, have you ever been a leader in any capacity?
0: Um, well, you see, uh, I had a sort of, uh, leadership role in my school, but, uh, it didn't really entail a whole lot of leadership. it was more just organizing stuff and getting events done as opposed to leading a whole lot of people that's leadership though it is leadership it, it, it was it was a it was a really good interesting experience though it was like it was a lot of organi- organizing coordinating we did have to work with people and um, yeah get everyone organized and doing stuff so yeah, I suppose that was a leadership experience that I had hmm Well, with that out of the way, let's get right into the recap. But just before we do, if you haven't watched the sermon, Under the Terebinth Tree, go to the link below and come back here later, because this podcast is full of spoilers. With that out of the way, let's get into our quick recap. So we started off by looking at this idea that humanity, we always live in societies, and societies have to be governed by some form of leadership. And the fact that throughout history, different philosophers, have come up with different ideas as to how they should run. We've got um, Marxism or uh, Machiavellian kind of view, or a Confucius thought that you should just have the most morally upright person in society be the one to lead. But then it poses the question to us, as Christians, we all actually have some form of leadership. If we have some sort of role in the church, uh, we find ourselves in this role of leadership. And so, then that poses the idea to us of what is not only the most effective method of leadership, but what is the most biblical uh, method of leadership. Mm. And so, the way we decided to do that was by comparing and contrasting two different styles of leadership. Um, One is Gideon, and one was his son. He's devoted and loyal to God. Uh, We see that he's humble, he has no desire for power or authority. And he submits to God's will, and he takes whatever uh, advice and guidance that God gives him. Mm. Then we compare uh, Abimelech, and he's the exact opposite of his father. We see that he's willing to kill all 70 of his brothers just to uh, assume power. He's really stuck up. He's like an egomaniac. Because think about it. If there are 71 of you, and you just assume, of all of these, I am the most qualified to lead you've got to have a bit of arrogance and pride to you. It's a bit, he has a bit of a superiority complex.
2: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Uh, and then we see that he's not devoted to God at all. He's more than happy to take funding from the Temple of Baal. And he uses that money to hire mercenaries to kill all of his brothers. And so throughout the sermon, uh, we keep seeing these really distinct contrasts between Gideon and Abimelech. Uh, another one, Gideon, the Spirit of God, comes upon him, but we see that Abimelech... A spirit of ill will comes between him and uh, the people of Shechem, the city which elected him as their king. And we discover that this method of leadership which Abimelech follows, where he sees the leadership as not serving other people but as uh, an opportunity for his own personal gain, we see that the Bible defines that as a bramble leader. And when you think of a bramble, it's got thorns, uh, it's, it's like a tiny little shrub, it can't really do anything for you. So even if you try and get protected and find shade under this tiny shrub, you're just going to get pricked up against these thorns. And so the idea is that a godly leader, uh, they liberate and free people, and they listen to God and they're obedient to him, whereas a bramble leader, uh, they're ineffective because they're not displaying godly attitudes, and they don't have the right motives. They're not doing this for people. They're not doing it to serve. Hmm. It's just for personal gain. But then the twist is, we actually look at the end of Abimelech's life and the end of Gideon's life, and Gideon actually turns out the exact same way. He kind of goes off the deep end and becomes the very thing that he hated, the very thing that he tried to get rid of. Mm. And so it's this ironic kind of story in that it shows human nature at its core. We're almost bent towards uh, assuming this Bramble leader sort of leadership. And so really, we can't ever put any human person as a pedestal or as a role model, because humans always fail. And so the way we uh, wrapped it up was the only real perfect model of biblical leadership is Jesus. All throughout his life, we see the same things. He's devoted and loyal to God, has no desire for power, he's humble, and uh, he submits to God's will. Jesus is really the only example that we have of true biblical leadership, and that's what where to aspire to. Yeah. That was a really good sermon. Well, don't get too excited just yet, Mitchell. That's our next segment. Let's get <laughs> right into the impressions. What did you guys think of the sermon? Something I was going to say, what's
1: really cool is the whole thing where, where uh, Gideon goes off, off, off the rails at the end, right? And he huh? ends up funding the, the temple that, that Abimelech then takes money out of to kill his sons.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's crazy.
1: Like, it, it's, it's not even, not even like a long way down the track. It's the next generation. mm you see the result of what Gideon did. It's pretty
0: direct. Yeah.
2: Mm. It's it's crazy, too. It shows, like... I I love the setup that you gave at the beginning. I love how you gave us some context about how Israel is in deep, deep apostasy. Because it goes mm. to show, like, how deep it was, right? It's like, God could only raise, like, one good man. And, unfortunately, one good man, like, his his only self-motivated deed... It was able to be capitalised, like, so thoroughly.
0: Yeah. I think, it, I I I will admit, I get a little bit of satisfaction out of doing that last part of Gideon, because <laughs> whenever you hear the story of Gideon as a kid, it's always, and then he won the Battle of the 300, and they lived happily ever after. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, uh, sorry to, like, uh, childhood ruined. Gideon kind of goes a little nutso, you know, at the end. it. But it's really sad uh, watching this guy descend into the very thing he hates. It's it's really rough to kind of read after reading this first few chapters. Well, What's sorry. good about it yeah. though is that
1: like it does help us know that we don't always like once you're perfect, you don't have to stay perfect. Like you can fall again and then come back later. Like although although we don't know if Gideon came back, um, you know falling again is a thing that happens, and it's not mm. like the end of the world if you do.
0: Well, that's what the entire book of Judges is about. Think of the cycle that it's all about. The the people of Israel, they get oppressed. Then they call out to God. They say, hey, God, can you help us? So they end up repenting. God then brings up a leader. The leader frees the people. They go into this age of prosperity. And then they go, oh, man, things are good. And then they abandon God. And then they get oppressed by people. And then it's just over and over again. So really, the book of Judges is... It, it kind of proves two points. It proves the cyclical nature of humanity and sin, mm. but it also demonstrates the immense mercy that God has on humanity, the fact that he's willing to give us so many chances despite us, as you said, falling over and over and over again. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think what's really interesting as well is uh, that the book of Judges, not only did the people get progressively worse, but so did the judges. Yes. yeah. yeah. So, you start off with, uh, like, Ehud. Ehud's even a little bit shifty, but you start off with someone like Deborah. We're not told one bad thing about Deborah. She's a really good judge. She saves the people, and we're not really told about any of her vices. And then the next one is Gideon, and Gideon starts off great, and then, eh, he gets a little wonky. Then you've got people like Jephthah, who literally, his, like, description, the first few verses he's uh, mentioned in is, and he surrounded himself with like uh, reckless men. Uh, he was basically a social outcast. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the very end and who do you get? Samson. He has anger issues. He he has problems with sexual morality and adultery and all these sorts of things. And you think to yourself, man, oh, this is the best guy that God can choose. You know, That's how morally bankrupt Israel is at this point. But that's the best thing they can find.
2: Mm. And I, I hate to like... I just skip to the end of, like, you know, the whole story. But what I love is that, you know, not only does God over and over again raise up people to save Israel. Like, Israel sins, raises someone to save them every single time he comes in. But, you know, even as Israel gets worse and worse and worse, it just only shows how, how far God had to go to save them.
0: Exactly. Well, speaking of which, how about we cut directly to the cutting room floor since... That is very much linked to what we're going to look at today. We'll get to the drawing board as we go along. But Mitchell, what is the cutting room floor?
1: The cutting room floor is the segment where we discuss the parts of the sermon that didn't make it into the final product.
0: What? How, break them down. How exciting. How ex- So one of the things I really wanted to go uh, in depth with, but obviously couldn't uh for time constraints was this idea of trees here we go drawing board time i've always wanted to do uh, a sermon about gideon and abimelech but i hadn't really come up with any connection i didn't know what i wanted to do and then i noticed that both of these guys are coronated as leader under a terebinth tree i was like "Hmm, that's interesting and then i kept reading throughout the bible and i kid you not terebinth trees kept popping up no matter where i went and i was like. Oh, these trees are freaking me out stop, stop popping up And they just kept popping up So I was like you know what I'll follow this And that's how I ended up uh, Coming up with the sermon But I find it interesting that trees are always used as symbols For people or powers or kingdoms uh, In the Bible For example um, In Judges 9 The, uh, the bramble represents Abimelech uh, If you want to go and find out A bit more about that You can check out Daniel 4 where a tree represents King Nebuchadnezzar. Mm. And so we see that uh, Israel is also represented as a tree. They were to be this leader for other nations. Um, God had elected them as a peculiar people to stand out and to show the other Gentile nations uh, how to know God, how to uh, live in accordance with Him. And so what I find interesting is uh, this parable in Luke chapter 13. Alright, so listeners at home, we are in Luke 13 and reading through verses 6 through to 9.
1: He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, I did it alone this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that you can cut it down.
0: Alright, so, we talked about Israel being represented uh, by a tree. And in this case, they're represented by this fig tree. And uh, notice, how long did Jesus' ministry last for?
2: It was three and a half years? Three years?
0: Yeah, three and a half years. And so Jesus is saying, look... I've been here three years, and I keep coming back to see if this fig tree has produced any fruit, but it's not doing anything. Mm. And what is fruit a symbol of that we know um, from the Bible? Yeah, think of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all that sort of stuff. Uh, in other words, it's the, uh, it's the characteristics that they have, uh, these attributes, um, you know.
2: a symbol of um, you've accepted the Holy Spirit, and then from there, out of your life, flow the fruit.
0: Exactly. And so Jesus is here and he's like, look, uh, Israel, I keep coming back and I'm not seeing the fruits. And this is interesting because if you go into Daniel 7, we don't have time to uh, dissect it entirely, but Daniel 7 gives the country of Israel an ultimatum. Uh, it says, look, you guys have to fix up your act uh, and... And you have until the Messiah comes, the Messiah, he's going to put an end to sacrifice. Uh, it says he's going to be cut off for himself and then confirm a new covenant. And then Israel is given 490 years to start producing those fruits. And Jesus, he comes down in his ministry right before the end of this is all going to happen because all that stuff about the Messiah, that uh, of course relates to Jesus' death. So Jesus, he's so close to the end of this 490 year period and I think Jesus is almost saying it with a bit of um, remorse in his, in his voice, you know. He, he's just frustrated by the fact that Israel's been given all this time, and he's just not seeing the fruits. Yeah. Oh, he, he
2: was devastated, right? He, I, I can't remember which gospel it's in, but there's that whole thing where he, he just cries to them. He goes, you know, Israel, Israel, how often would I have gathered you under my wings? But mm. you would not.
0: Yeah. It, it's it, it, Well, think of like a, a father or a mother, you know, and they they keep saying to their kid, look, just, just come. I, I'll, I'll take you in. I'll take you in. The kid just goes, nah, I'm all good. It'd break your heart.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: In fact, uh, that's quite a bit of, uh, that motif is found quite a bit in the book of Hosea. And we actually did a podcast on that before. If you'd like to go more in depth with that uh, topic, you can check out ASP episode 6, The Prodigal Wife, with Jesse Marks and Michael Godfrey. Following this idea of Israel being represented by a tree, we now see, uh, we see them described in a sort of different way, but in the same sort of context. So now we go to the book of Mark, chapter 12.
2: Then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it. He dug a place for the wine vat and he built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers, and went to a far country. Now, at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers, that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers. But they took him and beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another servant, and at him they threw stones, wounded him in the head, and sent him away shamefully treated.
1: And again, he sent another, and they and him they killed, and many others, beating some and killing some. Therefore, still having one son, he beloved. He also sent him to them last, saying, They will respect my son. But those vinedressers said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him, and cast him out of the vineyard.
0: Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to other tenants. Have you not even read the scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is what the Lord this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvellous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. So they left him and went away. So this is a very really peculiar uh, parable that Jesus tells. It's about this, this guy he owns a vineyard, and he keeps sending people to collect the money from these tenants, and they just keep beating them up until he sends his own son and they kill them. Take into consideration in verse 1, he plants a vineyard, sets a hedge around it, dug a place for the wine vat, built a tower. Mm-hmm. That's all going to come uh, in handy very, very soon. Remember that description. It's very precise. Uh, each, Jesus tells this parable, and each of these characters uh, represent different groups of different people. So the man who hires out the vineyard is obviously God. Uh, and then you have the vine dressers or the tenants... And it actually says in verse 12, they sought to lay hands on him, but they knew he was speaking about them. So the context here is Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees. So these vine dresses, these tenants represent the Pharisees. And again, what does is, uh, Israel represented by? By trees. So the vine, uh, the, the actual vine would represent Israel. And so notice that the man, uh, this is very interesting Keep this description in your head for later. It'll come in handy. It says that the man, he plants a vineyard, he sets a hedge around it, dug a place for the wine vat, and built a tower. That's a very uh, precise description. And then he sends these people to come and collect the fruits. And they just keep getting bashed up and beaten up. And these represent the prophets. God, throughout Israel's history, he keeps trying to send these prophets to people uh, to tell Israel to kind of fix up their game. And what do they do? They just reject these prophets. And so obviously uh, when it says in verse 7, he has one son, he decides to let that son go out and then they kill that son, that's uh, referring to Jesus. Mm. The Pharisees, God, think about that. God sends his own son to the people of Israel to give them just like one more chance. As As we said, Jesus, he's looking at that fig tree and he goes... Look, I've been here three years, and I want to see fruits, but I'm not seeing anything. And then uh, the, uh, the Pharisees, they end up killing Jesus. They kill the son of uh, the man who owns the vineyard. Mm.
2: Isn't, isn't that, like, that's a, that's a terrible picture of Israel, but it's a beautiful picture of God. Mm. It's a God who, like, like, these vine dressers are dreadful people. If I had tenants like these in my house, I'd evict them pretty quick. <laughs> But this guy, right, he sends servants that, like, like servants that are close to him, that he loves and trusts, and they keep mm-hmm. beating them up, beating them up, and he looks at them, and like a regular person would kick them out, but God looks at them and he goes, the thing is, I love these guys. Yeah. And I have one last thing left, and it's my, my last option. It's the most expensive, valuable option. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give that to them too.
0: It's crazy, because when you read this story, you go, these vine dressers are absolute scum. They're, they're terrible. They're, they're just killing people for no reason. And then, as you said, like, God loves these guys. Like, God's trying to give them more chances. It's crazy to think about. Mm-hmm. And then, notice uh, in verse 10 and 11, it talks about the stone which the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. So, essentially, uh, when the, uh, the tenants, these vine dressers, They ultimately reach this point of judgment. The guy who owns the vineyard, he says, look, I can't deal with this anymore. Your ultimatum has run out. As we uh, hear about in that prophecy with Daniel, that 490-year ultimatum eventually runs out. And what ends up happening there is that the idea of Israel, the concept of Israel being this leader for the world, is no longer confined to one sole ethnic group, Mm. uh, that being the Israelites. Instead, we see that God says, look, I'm I'm going to make a new covenant. And in this new covenant, everyone, Jew and Gentile and Greek, Hebrew, servant, slave, the free, man and woman, whoever it is, they're all going to be free to join this new covenant. And they're all going to be treated as equals. Mm. And uh, I find it so fascinating, this idea Of the cornerstone. Who is this cornerstone that uh, they're talking about that was rejected? Paul actually tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse uh, 19, and it reads, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners regarding uh, the Gentiles. He says, But instead, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being that chief cornerstone. Mm. So that cornerstone that the, the uh, Pharisees rejected, they rejected Jesus. But now Paul is saying this new spiritual Israel is founded upon Jesus. And it's for Jew and Gentile alike. It's for everyone. And they're going to be the new spiritual leaders of the world. And I think it's actually a way better idea because now you have uh, people all over the world, scattered everywhere. Not just in one geographical location. Now you've got God's people uh, having the ability to be leaders wherever they go. So I think it's actually a more effective method. Uh, And then in verse 21, uh, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. I like Uh, that verse. uh, It's a great verse. And I find it fascinating. Um, Here's some verses uh, for you guys to look up. 1 Peter 2, verse 5, and 1 Peter 2, verse 9. Um, We won't read them now, but Peter, he describes people as being, uh, as presenting yourselves as a living stone. And you kind of think, that's a bit of a weird analogy, a living stone. But then think again of this analogy that Christ is the cornerstone And if it's a temple, well, you need other stones to make it. So that's what we do. We uh, submit our will to God. And that's how we be an effective leader. In order to build up the church of Christ, in order to build up that temple, have Christ as the cornerstone, and then have all these other rocks, all these other believers uh, coming up from it. And then in uh, verse 9 of that same book and chapter, he calls the Gentiles a peculiar people. Uh, And if you read the beginning of Exodus 20, God gives Israel the exact same description. So we we see that God's covenant, uh, his new covenant, as we said, embraces both Jew and Gentile. And if you want to read a few other verses about that, you can look up Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 through to 9. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. And James chapter 1 and verse 1. Those are some extra things that you can go and look at. But we need to wrap up with a little tease that I gave before. Uh, I told you to keep in mind that idea of the very precise description that is given about the vineyard. Now I want to go to Isaiah chapter 5 and we can see why this is so important.
1: Now let me sing to my well-beloved, a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choices vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a winepress in it. So he excitedly, expectedly, he expected
0: <laughs> it to
1: bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth
0: wild grapes. Mm. Does that description ring a bell at all of the vineyard? It's so cool. It's the exact same. <laughs>
2: Not only is it so cool, it's such a um, it's such a good reminder of how well Jesus knew
1: his Bible. I think it's interesting. Oh, yeah. It isn't a direct correlation to that one story. It's actually, I think, both both the the un, the unfruitful fig tree. It doesn't talk about the vines being bad. It talks about the people that owned that ran them. Yes. Whereas the fig tree didn't provide fruit, and so I think this is talking about. I think it's a, it's a combination of both.
0: Mm-hmm. It is, it is. He's, a, he's addressing both the, the vineyard idea, but also the fruit idea, as you were saying. Hmm. Uh, and so uh, that's why it says in verse 12 of, that other, uh, of Luke that we read, the Pharisees knew that they were talking about, that, that Jesus was talking about them. Because obviously they know their scriptures as well. And as Jesus is telling this story, like his opening verse is straight from Isaiah 5. And they're just going, "Oh my goodness, no, no! Jesus is—he's—he's he's saying that we're this disappointing vineyard. <laughs> oh my goodness, like, uh, they, the, Jesus, you know, as he was to you were saying, Tiana man, he knew his—he knew his Bible, so he knew exactly what to say. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, uh, God, the—the the owner of the vineyard, he's expecting good grapes. Uh, good, good fruit, but instead it says, like, he gets this wild grapes. The idea is you don't want to eat, uh, wild stuff, you know? Uh, as a kid, you are always told, don't eat berries that you don't know. Don't eat wild berries. You're just not supposed to eat them. As
2: an aside, Christopher, do you eat wild berries?
0: I mean, explain a lot, but no, I don't.
2: <laughs> Mitchell, did you eat wild berries? No. Wait, really? Wait, neither of you? And, you know, I thought I was going to be among friends here, I, I, think, oh, no. I thought we could all have a good laugh about our, our mistakes.
0: Wild berries? No, I knew they were bad for you. Oh, What colour were they, Tiana? Uh,
2: they were red, they looked real nice.
0: I mean, isn't red like always a colour in nature, like, beware, I am poison?
2: <laughs> well, I know that now.
0: <laughs> red back spider, red belly black snake. I think a better question is, does anyone have a wild mushroom story? <laughs> is, it, okay. is, is there something you want to tell us, Christopher? I'm just saying, <laughs> you know how every now and then just weird mushrooms would like grow in your backyard?
2: It, I've seen them.
0: And, and, and I just you, like what, them. you
1: just go out there and you eat them?
0: And... <laughs> no, 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 but like you're so conflicted because you look at them and you go, oh, darn, those mushrooms look good. But I also know that they're poisonous and you're like, is it worth the risk for a good a looking mushroom? <laughs> you're like weighing up your options. Uh, Anyways, speaking of wild mushrooms, let's read from verses five through to seven.
2: And now, please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste, it shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds, that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help.
0: Mm. So notice he takes away the hedge. He does all of this stuff. Um, and man, I love this Bible. Thank you so much. Uh, it's It says in verse 6, it'll come up with briars and thorns. Mm. Oh, cool. <laughs> and the whole idea uh, back in Abimelech was that he was like a bramble. He was covered in briars and thorns. And so really, God is accusing the Pharisees. He goes, man, you guys have been bramble leaders. That's all you've been this entire time. Uh, you think you're doing this because you're super religious and all this sort of stuff. But he says, your motives aren't in it for the right reasons. And that's why you and the people that you lead, consequently, are producing wild grapes. They're uh, they're, they're producing... Bad fruit, you know, I can't use this fruit to make anything good out of it. Uh, And so, as we said, yeah, God, He finishes this ultimatum. We see the fulfillment of Isaiah 5 in that parable Jesus tells later on that we first looked at. And yeah, as I said, we see the end of one covenant and the beginning of this new covenant in which everyone is able to come in and participate uh, in becoming the new tenants or the new vine dressers in God's vineyard. Mm -hmm. All right, we have our two contestants uh, on our show today, Brambly Feud, where I will be giving these contestants one of the 48 Laws of Power from Robert Greene and Juice Effler's book by the title, The 48 Laws of Power. The idea of the game is, you are going to say a random number, and I'm from 1 to 48, and I'm going to tell you the tip that he gives, and you have you have to tell me whether you think it matches a godly leader or a bramble leader. And
1: you have the list in front of you, right? Yeah, That's good. His
2: head, his head.
1: <laughs> we need a buzzer, right? You do
0: need a buzzer. Um, no. Come up with a sound. We get to use that yeah. buzzer. Mitchell, what's your buzzer? Test it out. Be a second. That's my buzzer. Is that you slapping a Domino's pizza box? Yes. <laughs> Domino's, uh, I expect some revenue. Tiana, what's your buzzer? <laughs> Alright, Mitchell, you can make that
2: noise for my buzzer and you'll
0: right. to that in the pizza box. I win. Alright, so, contestants, can you please test your buzzers? Mitchell. Tiana. <laughs> Are you hearing a lot of this? Alright, there will be six rounds. You will each get three questions each to prove yourself and you get a point for every correct answer. I win. Uh, the winner we'll receive uh, a prize which will remain unnamed for now. Oh. All right, Mitchell, pick a number between 1 and 48. No, that's you don't buzz. Here. Um okay. All right, pick a number. Um since you do the buzzer, I'll pick a number for you.
2: 24.
0: Oh. Well, a uh, way to give Tiana some autonomy there, but 24. Law 24. Play the perfect courtier. The perfect courtier thrives in a world where everything revolves around power and political dexterity. He has mastered the art of indirection, he flatters, yields to superiors, and asserts power over others in the most oblique and graceful manner. Learn and apply the laws of courtiership, and there'll be no limit to how far you can raise in the court. Bramble or no bramble. (laughs) <laughs>
1: what do you mean, bramble and no bramble? That's a different game. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, those are the options.
2: Clearly, that is very bramble. That's right? bramble. This
0: is very bramble. It says flattery, which was literally one of the points Abimelech does. He goes up and tries to flatter people and manipulate them. So, that is one point for Tiana. All right. I think even right.
1: with that point, like it talks about being graceful and all the rest. And they sound like really nice words, mm. right? But I guess what you gotta think is, what is the purpose of this leader? Like, is his purpose to be a leader, or is his purpose to serve the people? Well,
0: it is called the 48 Laws of Power, so it's more about... (laughs) Are we gonna find any good laws here? Hey, you know what? We Uh, got five uh... more
2: rounds, did you have to ruin it already? (laughs) We
0: got five rounds, who knows what we could find (laughs) in here. Alright, Tiana, give us uh, a number. 36. 36? Mm Mhm. Solid number. Oh. We've done oh. half,
1: and then all two thirds. No, sorry, half and three quarters.
0: Mine has more factors than yours, though. No. Speaking of uh, speaking of the number thirty six, make sure to check out uh, our thirty sixth episode of the podcast coming out in approximately two years at the fortnightly rate which we go at. All right, law thirty six: disdain things you cannot have; ignoring them is the best revenge. By acknowledging a petty problem, you give it existence and credibility. The more attention you pay an enemy, the stronger you make him, and a small mistake is often made worse and more visible when you try to fix it. It is sometimes best to leave things alone. If there is something you want but cannot have, show contempt for it. The less interest you reveal, the more superior you
2: seem. (laughs) Thank you! First of all, that sounds like excellent dating advice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so Tiana. Bramble or no bramble?
2: Um, that's a hard one, hey, because that like there was some there was some decent stuff in there. Like, for example, you know, don't don't pay attention to your enemy, don't try and get revenge. There's even a bit of do not covet thrown in there.
1: I actually think there's a bit of um the the interesting thing about that is that you say don't pay attention to, to your enemy It's funny, but I think that's not what we're meant to do. Oh. By by not ignoring your enemy, I think we're meant to, like, we're meant to to help them with their problems. We're not meant to, like, cast them aside and turn our backs to them. We're meant to
0: open arms,
1: accept them in.
0: Oh, Tiana, he makes such a compelling case. Oh.
1: I think it seems counterintuitive, because it's very painful sometimes, and, like, you have to sometimes let them be mean to you. But I think if you love your enemies, you can eventually make them your friends.
0: See, like, as Tiana was saying, there's some pretty decent stuff in here, like, don't get hung up on stuff that you can't have, you know, don't get hung up on it, but it's the context he puts it in, it's all about, and all of this is so that you can manipulate other people, it's like, ah, you lost me. So, you both make compelling cases. I'm gonna have to give you both a point. Oh, man. The score is Tiana two, Mitchell one. Mitchell, pick a number.
1: Oh, pick a number.
0: 12. Law 12. Use selective honesty and generosity to disarm your victim. Oh,
1: this sounds this sounds like an, a non-bramble already.
0: <laughs> Come on, hit it, hit it.
1: We don't Is use it? selective honesty, we use impeccable honesty.
0: Ah, look at that. Mitchell gets a point. <laughs> Alright, Tiana. Yes. A number between 1 and 48.
1: Ooh. Mm. Not including 12, 24, or 36?
2: Oh, thank you for that. I was in danger. I'm gonna go 21.
0: 21. You went and ruined the pattern. Yeah, what'd you do that for? Law 21. Play a sucker to catch a sucker. Seem dumber than your mark. No one likes feeling stupider than the next person. The trick is to make your victims feel smart. And not just smart, but smarter than you. Once convinced of this, they will never suspect that you may have ulterior motives. Ooh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um.
2: Ah, oh, it, it's terrible, isn't it? Some of these, some of these things are so smart. They kind of appeal, right?
1: Oh yeah, they appeal. Like oh, they yeah. appeal. Th-
2: this is no seriously. Th- these are these are appealing mm. to you know like the the sort of. gross... Well, they're actually easy,
1: right? This is like a list of, of like things you got. You know, you got to change yourself. You got to become strong and a leader. These are easy, right? This is how you want to be. Snake-like.
0: Yeah. It's actually it's actually more difficult to, as we were saying, like love your enemies and make the hard changes. So, a final answer: bramble or no bramble?
2: I think definitely very brambly.
0: Sounding very brambly to me. All right, that. Ooh. We have had five rounds, Mitchell. If you do not get the next point, Tiana wins.
1: I have forgotten completely to buzz <laughs> in.
0: But if you do get the next point, we will have a tiebreaker finale to, uh, well, to break the tie. Oh so man! Exciting. Mitchell, number.
1: Oh man, I was leaving this one for. Let's let's say forty-eight for the last question.
2: What? That's assuming that you get the next answer. Oh.
1: Oh. oh. I use it now. Someone's confident.
0: Let's go with the number
1: 44.
0: 44, alright. So, law 44. Disarm and infuriate with the mirror effect. The mirror reflects reality, but it is also the perfect tool for deception. When you mirror your enemies doing exactly as they do, they cannot figure out your strategy. The mirror effect mocks and humiliates them, making them overreact. By holding a mirror up to their psyches, you seduce them with the illusion that you share their values. You teach them a lesson. Few can resist the power of mirror effect. Oh my goodness, he sneaks in there before Tiana can go... I was so close to losing there. (laughs) I
1: I love this one. (laughs) (laughs) I love this lore. This is such a nice one. So like, have you ever been a sibling? Have you ever had... A younger sibling of any kind, male
2: <laughs> or female,
1: who you just like, you infuriate. <laughs> this this was my childhood. It was such a, I'd go home of an afternoon so excited, because I would I would get to do this to my sister. It was so much fun. Says I'm gonna say it's no bramble, it's a bramble rather. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you you want to be able to continue being. Super annoying, but also you want to win the game.
0: I think it's a bramble. <laughs> <laughs> he goes for
1: bramble. Because, because, uh, as, as the saying goes, do unto others as you would have them do unto you.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, we are at a tiebreaker. My goodness, there are prizes on the line. There's dignity on the line. Uh, it, it, it's, things are heating up here, all right? Can you feel the heat, Mr. Santa? Oh,
1: I can feel the heat. You can feel heat. I'm, I'm getting nervous. I've got my pizza box here. I can oh, smell the goodness. pizza cooking inside it.
0: Ah, well, are we choosing Law 48 as our final tiebreaker?
1: What do you think? Law 48? Let's go to Law
0: 48. Alright, I'm gonna read out the whole thing before you can buzz in. Law- I'm- actually, I'm not gonna give you the title for this one. The title's too easy. I'm just gonna read out the little blurb, alright? Law 48. By taking a shape, by having a visible plan, you open yourself to attack. Ah. Instead of taking a form for your enemy to grasp, keep yourself adaptable and on the move. Accept the fact that nothing is certain and no law is fixed. The best way to protect yourself is to be as fluid and formless as water. Never bet on stability or lasting order. Everything changes. Did you hear that? We both buzzed in at once.
2: I tried to throw
0: away your pizza box.
1: Oh, how special is that? I was, you know, I was gonna let Tiana buzz in with me, and she tried to throw my pizza box away.
0: That seems very Bramble like. So,
1: just a quick question before we answer Was the title of this law Donald Trump?
0: The title of the law was Assume Formlessness. Oh. Be the water. It's
1: a.
2: Well, first of all, who who gets to answer?
1: We both get to answer because we both won.
2: Um. So in that case, I want to know.
1: <laughs>
2: in all honesty, in all honesty, I barely heard it. I was so focused on throwing away the pizza box.
1: I think um, I think yeah, that's it. You, if you if the point is to be a leader, you've got to um, let people know like what you are doing as a leader. Yeah. You got to let people choose you as a leader, right? And to choose a leader, they've got to know what that person is going to do for them. Mm
0: here's the thing I think with this one again there's elements of good and bad there's the element of as you were saying you need people to know your plan so that they can trust you and rely on you and be an effective leader true yeah but I also like his idea of everything changes you can't be rigid in your plan you've got to be able to flow and adjust so that that's a smart idea but in adjusting you should be keeping uh, the people uh, you're working with up to date and giving them the new plan as you go along
2: I guess so. In your sermon, my favourite bit was definitely the bit where you, you know, you you gave us these two sort of human leaders, and then we got Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess for me, judging this particular rule, I kind of see there's this God who warned the Israelites 490 years in advance, right? Yeah. Like, if that's not opening yourself up to attack, I don't know what is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got a God who. <sighs> Demonstrated his character in the person of his son, so he put himself out there. Mm. And last of all, we've got a god who promises that he does not change his word as sure.
0: Yep. Well, look, uh, I'm looking at the scores and you both gave very compelling arguments. What do you know? Everybody's a winner, including myself. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, we're all in the New Covenant, everyone's a winner, so. Oh. <laughs>
2: no.
0: Uh, Mitchell, as a prize, you get the pizza in the Domino's pizza box. Awesome.
2: (laughs) It's empty. (laughs) Uh, Christopher, do you have any recommended readings?
0: Well, for this particular sermon, I actually didn't use many uh, outside sources. Uh, It was very much just reading the text over and over and over again. So I'd actually encourage people to go and read the book of Judges, uh, or specifically Judges, six seven eight and nine uh on their own there's so much in those four chapters and uh we as we went through the sermon we only read select verses so uh if you're really interested to fill in the gaps and get to know more about this uh idea of what is godly leadership and uh what is bramble leadership i just recommend going back and reading all of those christopher where can those people find you well, they can find me here every fortnight on the After Podcast and on my YouTube channel, Christopher Peterson, with an S E N. Speaking of the podcast, Mitchell, did you know that we are on more platforms now than ever? Insane! We're on YouTube, we're on SoundCloud, we're on podcasts and iTunes, and even Podbean, whatever that is. Also, don't forget to follow us on our Facebook page under the same name, the After Podcast. That way... You get to know what sermon we're going to be talking about a whole week in advance. And you can prep yourself then ready for the after sermon. Once again, guys, thank you so much for supporting us and for listening in. That concludes today's podcast. And we hope you've been blessed as we've discussed under the Terebinth tree. Make sure to come back in a fortnight for another episode. And with that said, have a good one and good Good night. night.